0: And the one that I've chosen is called The Minister's Black Veil. This might bring back some memories from some of you from your high school years. In the tale by Nathaniel Hawthorne, the congregation of a small New England church is suddenly stunned one Sunday morning when their respected young minister, the Reverend Mr. Hooper, enters the church wearing a veil of black crepe over his face. The veil has a chilling effect on the congregation. The minister conducts the service as usual, making no reference to the veil. But its very presence evoked fear, anxiety, mistrust, and wild speculation. A delegation is sent to confront the Reverend Mr. Hooper about the veil and his reasons for continuing to wear it. The minister answered simply, If I hide my face for sorrow, there is cause enough. And if I cover it for secret sin, what mortal might not do the same? For the rest of his long life, Father Hooper refuses to take off the black veil. His congregation eventually comes to accept the veil, and over their years, their esteem for him and their respect for his ministry continues to grow. But even on his deathbed, when an attending minister tries to remove the black veil, the elderly minister, though sick and confused, continues to clutch the veil tightly to his face. Why do you tremble for me alone, he cried? Tremble also for each other. Have men avoided me, and women shown me no pity, and children scream and fled only for my black veil? Look around me, and lo, on every face, I see a black veil. See, today's gospel passage challenges us to to see, I think, challenges us to see through the veils that oftentimes we hide behind in our lives. Oh, for some, it's a veil of fear, Or for others, a veil of mistrust. Perhaps it's a veil of prejudice or ignorance that prevents us from living life to the full in the very presence that our God calls us to live life. See, after the Pharisees' several attempts to discredit Jesus, the Sadducees, now remember they're a faction of priests, and the Jewish establishment who then tried to challenge Jesus as well. But unlike the Pharisees, with whom they were often at odds, they put no acceptance in the thousands of detailed regulations and rituals that the Pharisees embraced. The conservative Sadducees rejected the notion of angels or spirits or a belief in an afterlife and even the thoughts of a messiah seemed ridiculous to them. And so the hypothetical case that the Sadducees concoct based on Moses' teaching on marriage is designed not in any way to really find an answer to their question, but it's designed to ridicule the so-called messiah. Jesus' ludicrous teaching about resurrection. Jesus first dismisses their attempt to understand the reign of God in human, worldly terms. The life of God transcends our understanding of our human relationships and our human values. Citing the Sadducees' own cherished Mosaic writings, Jesus reminds them that God spoke to Moses, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And when he spoke, he spoke to them in the present tense, because for him, they were all still alive. They weren't simply long-lost memories. And he even says, God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living and Jesus comes with the promise of always living in God and with God. See the legalistic, the literal Sadducees cannot grasp the concept of a God who hasn't come to condemn them, to punish them. For them to conceive of the God that Jesus reveals, a God of love that redeems and saves and transforms people, is beyond their imaginings. But you know, I think sometimes in our own lives, we're guilty of the Sadducees' limited vision of God. We struggle to gauge God by our own standards. You might say to measure God by our own measuring yardsticks. To define God by our systems of reasoning and understanding. But the God whom Jesus reveals defies all explanations and designs. And the response that Jesus desires of his disciples and all of us is one that simply opens minds and spirits that we might in truth become who God calls us to be. See, resurrection is the promise and the hope of our faith as Catholic Christians But resurrection, I think, is also an attitude. It's a perspective for approaching the decisions and the complexities of all of our own lives. See, in dying to our own worst impulses, disappointments, and sometimes overwhelming sense of hopelessness, The God that you and I have been taught to believe in is a God who will raise us up to newness of life, to the heights of the life and the love of God himself. See, but I think often the Reverend Mr. Hooper exists to some extent in every single one of us here. It's the veil that says, I can't believe this. It's the veil that says, I don't want to see, I don't want to know. I'd rather just live in my own little world. It's the veil that says, I don't know if I can trust. I can't see God. I can't hear God. I can't speak to God like I can to another person. How do I know that which I have been taught is true? This week has been a challenging one. Since Sunday, seven funerals came in this week, ranging from in their 90s to, of course, our youngest, which was Justin Pressler, yesterday at 21 years old. Yesterday, for Justin's funeral, the church was primarily other than his family, mostly high school and college-aged students. Justin himself was in his third year at the University of Dayton and his older sister in grad school and his youngest brother, a junior at Northville High School. And I preached as I always preach. And I preached not trying to bring answers or wisdom to a mystery that none of us will ever understand but simply tried to preach from one heart to another heart and all of us are simply here to help each other along the way, whether that's in holding hands or sitting down simply to cry with another person, to live in the mystery of it all. And at the end of the funeral, A young person came into the sacristy as I was taking my vestments off. He looked at me and he had tears rolling down his face. He said, you talk about all of this. You talk about that kingdom. Like somehow you believe it. You believe it to be true. I sat with the young person and simply shared that which I do believe without any hesitation and without any doubt. He looked at me and he said, I just don't know how to believe like that. And I expressed that in many ways, faith, Faith became real for me in my sophomore year in high school when I decided to join the hang gliding club. (laughs) I remember asking my parents if it was all right. Not sure they thought it was the best of ideas, but if that's what you want to do, Dennis, take the class. And so I did. It was being taught by a Jesuit in the high school that I went to, and on the day that we were going to strap the kite onto our back and jump off of a small mountain, I found myself at the top, looping my arms into the kite and looking down at the buildings that were all about this big. And I remember thinking to myself, what were you thinking, Dennis? This has got to be the dumbest thing you have ever done. If God wanted you to fly, you would have had feathers and wings. And I just stood there on the edge of the cliff. And the young Jesuit came up behind me and said, So, what's the matter? I said, I think I'm crazy. He said, did you take the class? He knew well that I had. He was the one who had taught it. I said, I did. He said, do you think you understand? I said, I do. He said, do you remember how you need to land? I do. He said, so now, Dennis, the choice is yours. You can take, you can take the kite off your back and walk back down the hill, but for the rest of your life, you're always going to ask that question, could I have done it? Should I have done it? What would have happened if I had done it? And the young Jesuit just walked away, and I just stood there, and then I jumped. And indeed, I landed on my feet, and I felt like I had never felt before in my life. And I remember that day going home thinking, that's what faith is. It's about believing that all of the people whom I have loved and respected throughout my whole life, who shared with me what they held to be true in their hearts, I've taken it into my heart. And I've believed. And yesterday, when I looked at Justin's mom and dad and his brother and his sister and his grandmother and all the young people, And said that on that day when the God who had called and created each one of us will call us home, Justin will be waiting on the other side. And his arms will be open wide. And it will all be a family again, but that next time there will be no sadness and no suffering and no pain there'll only be love. So until that day, I will stand on the edge of the cliff and I will jump again and again and again. Because I don't want to walk through life with a cover of a black veil through which I see others and myself and all of life. I don't want to view my life through doubt and apprehension and rationalizations, but to believe in a God who came, who came in the form of Jesus to remove those veils once and for all. The one who calls us forth from our tombs in which we wall ourselves off from one another to offer to us the gift of faith to believe once again. And as I walked through Rural Hills Cemetery earlier today, to go by Justin's grave. As I walked, one after another were all the stones of people whose funerals I have celebrated here. The number of people to whom I spoke those words after anointing them. I'll see you on the other side. gives me strength gives me hope and as I said to the young men yesterday I do believe with every fiber of my being God is real and this this is just the beginning God doesn't go back into our pasts but offers us a future of hope.